Texaco Star Theater. The more than 45,000 Texaco dealers from coast to coast welcome you to an hour of mirth and melody. With our star comedian, Fred Allen. Kenny Baker and Portland Hopper. Our guest, New York's favorite restaurateur, Lindy. The Martins and L. Goodman's Orchestra. It's Texaco time. Ladies and gentlemen, you never can be sure of your in-laws. You never can be sure of the weather. You never can be sure of a beef stew. There's only one thing you can be sure of. It's Wednesday night. And here is that man again, Fred Allen, in person. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Jimmy, for once... For once, I must say that you are correct. You can't be sure of anything these days. Well, how do you mean, friend? Well, didn't you read about the aquarium? No, no, well, I you, have... You'd, no, wait, you cert- you'd certainly think that an institution like the aquarium that has been down in Battery Park for 40 years was here to stay, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. But no, the aquarium has got to go. Well, if you've got to go... Now, well, not even if you're... <laughs> now, wait, first, the city, city, uh, even if you're in the aquarium. But first, the... <laughs> First the city tore down the L, Jimmy. Now it's dispossessing the eel. (laughs) They're going to spend $2 million to build a new aquarium up in the Bronx. $2 million so the fish can meet a better class of people. (laughs) Oh, look, Fred, let's get on with the news. You know, I read only Sunday in the paper that the city is expecting a deficit next year, and here it is moving 200,000 gallons of water and 12,000 fish from the battery uptown to the Bronx. You know, that's going to cost plenty, too. If the mayor sends those fish uptown by subway, the IRT, 12,000 fish at a nickel a head. There's $600 more right there, James. Fred, the newsreel. $2,600,000 to put an aquarium in the Bronx. Why, if the people in the Bronx want to see fish, let them go down to the Fulton Fish Market. That's right. <laughs> An aquarium in the Bronx. All I have to say is, if the city is going to put an aquarium in the Bronx, they'll have to insure the herring. (laughs) More expensive. Fred, please, the newsreel. All right. I'm not really through, Jimmy, but who am I after all? Let's get ahead with the news. That fanfare should be sent to the Bronx, too. That's wet enough to join the aquarium on the way uptown. The Texaco News presents its highlight from the world of news. 
New York City, New York. Speaking at a conference of the League for Industrial Democracy, Department of Markets official says that owners of New York retail meat shops threatened to close in protest over higher meat prices. Texaco News, with microphone disguised as a turkey leg, presents box chop interviews to get reactions to advancing meat prices. First, a prominent authority on meat, meet Dr. Asa Brindle. Correction, please. I beg your pardon? Dr. Brindle couldn't come. I am deputizing for him. Oh, you are? Well, who are you? I am Dr. Tekla Pearl. Dr. Dr. Tekla Pearl? Uh, and uh, are you a cattle expert, doctor? No, I am an authority on swine. <laughs> a swine authority. We, uh... We, we, ought, we ought to have a no porking sign around here. No porking. Very good. <laughs> you, uh... You have a blunt sense of humor, doctor. But tell us, Doctor, what is causing these rising meat prices? It's the scarcity of cows. Really? And what is responsible for the scarcity? Hollywood. Hollywood? Compel Hollywood to stop making Western pictures and meat prices will go down. Your theory is? Thousands of cows who are merely being stooges for Technicolor cowboys can be butchered and sold. This would lower the price of meat and put Hopalong Cassidy back on relief. This will settle the consumer's beef, you feel, Dr. Pearl. That is my opinion. Dr. Brindle concurs. Well, thank you. Oh, say, I forgot to ask you, what happened to Dr. Brindle tonight? Dr. Brindle is home with Tomaine. A meat authority, a meat authority stricken with Tomaine? Yes. A friend gave him a bum steer at a barbecue. <laughs> you, and the sooner the better. And thank you, Dr. Tekla Pearl. A friend... A family, he was quite good for a swine authority, really. A family man who resents the steadily rising meat prices is Putney Dobbin. You, uh, you buy a lot of meat, do you, Putney? Yeah, yeah, once a week, but I keep getting less and less. Well, how do you mean? Well, for 20 years, every Saturday night, I've been taking a dollar out of me pay and stopping in the butchers. You, you buy a dollar's worth of meat? Yeah, yeah, it used to last through the week. Oh, it used to? Yeah. Back in 1920, I'd go into the butcher, slap me buck down on the chopping block. Yeah. The butcher would give me a cleaver and a lantern, open the icebox door and say, help yourself. And you would? I'd chop a cow in half, braid a couple of lambs, load me pockets full of tripe and kidneys and go home. You were messy but happy. <laughs> that was back in 1920. Now, uh, when did they start to cut down? In 1925. Oh, did the butcher stop you from going in the icebox? Oh, no, I was still going in. But the butcher was going in with me and watching. <laughs> and uh, how long did this keep up? Till 1930. I was still buying me dollars, worth. And still going in? No, the butcher was going in the icebox alone. I had to wait outside and take what he gave me. And uh, meat still kept going up? In 1938, every Saturday night, all I'm getting for me buck is a pig's head. Well, you could have bought something else, couldn't you? No, no, it had to be a pig's head. It had to see us through the week. <laughs> well, what the... <laughs> what happened in uh, 1939? All I'm getting is flank, shanks, and tendons. And in 1940? I'm getting a dollar's worth of hamburger. I'm carrying it home in an envelope. 
Well, what about the meat prices today, Putney? Oh, they're brutal. Last Saturday night, I go in at a butcher's. Yeah? What do you think I get for me dollar? What? The butcher lets me smell the meat hook. <laughs> that accounts for that bicarbonate on your nose, and thank you, Putney Dobbins. A housewife who is up in arms over the high meat prices is Mrs. Yandel Sturm. What, uh, what action are you taking, Mrs. Yandel Sturm? Us housewives is prepared. You are <laughs> prepared for what? We ain't cooking nothing but mock meat dishes. Mock meat? You mean like mock turtle like that? Yeah. Mock meatballs, mock cutlets, mock hot dogs. Mock, uh, mock frankfurters? Well, how are they made? I have the recipe right here. You have the recipe with you? Well, may, uh, may, we, uh, may we have it, please? Sure. Recipe for mock hot dogs. Take one old rubber glove, butter well inside, stuff fingers with chopped eggplant, wild rice, and breadcrumbs, yeah. add pinch of flour and yeast, put rubber glove in slow oven, and bake for two hours. And this comes out frankfurters? Yeah. You cut the fingers off the rubber glove, you got four mock hot dogs. Oh, what do you do with the thumb? Don't ask me. I got two closets full of them. <laughs> well, tell me, uh, what is your favorite anti-meat dish, Mrs. Sturm? Mock omelets. Mock omelets? Well, how do you uh, how do you serve a mock omelet? Well, my husband cackles, and I lay a wheat cake on the table. Thank you off, and thank you, Mrs. Yandel Stern. A downtown delicatessen dealer who resents increasing meat prices is Prentice Blauvogel. Now, Prentice, uh, 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 please not Prentice. It is Salami Sam. <laughs> Salami Sam? This everybody in the delicatessen game is calling me. Salami Sam. Sometimes I am knowing the party well, then they are calling me Sammy. Salami Sammy. Salami Sam. Yeah. Well, where is your delicatessen, Sam? Well, for instance, you are coming up Rivington Street, the Pinkus' Pickle Power. Yeah? You are walking kitty corner across the street. Yeah. Pointing left. Yes? Taking a deep breath. Take a deep breath. This is leading you direct to Salamis House. By the window, a tongue is hanging. Oh, a tongue hangs outside? That is a signal. You are seeing outside that tongue. You are knowing inside is sandwiches. Oh, I see. Well, what about the meat prices? Every day, prices is advancing. Every day, I'm going outside to painting on the window under the tongue new prices. Every day? Every day. Every day? Yes, sir. Every day until today. Today is coming the last drop. What happened? For two years outside, the tongue is hanging. Yeah? For two years, I am painting on the window under the tongue the new prices. For two years, nothing is happening. And today? Meat is finally going too hot. Well, how do you know? This morning, when I am painting under the tongue new high prices, Yes? The tongue is going... <laughs> the receivers will eventually hold your tongue, and thank you, Prentice Blauvogel, alias Salami Sam, uh, alias Salami Sammy. 
If meat prices continue to rise, meat may soon become a luxury commodity. Meat may become so rare, the day will come when we will hear romantic episodes like this. Two sweethearts sit on a divan. The lights are low. The boy speaks. Close your eyes, darling. Yes, John. Hold out your hand. Yes, John. Now open your eyes. Look. <gasps> oh, John, you shouldn't have been so extravagant. Are we engaged now, darling? And how. This is the biggest solitaire calves liver I've ever seen. Darling! <laughs> Thank you. And so from the meat course, we turn for dessert to a Mexican confection, a short order of perfidia dished up by Chef Kenny Baker. Will you, my heart cries out perfidia, for I have found the love of my life. In somebody else's eyes Your eyes are echoing perfidia Forgetful of a promise of love You're sharing another's child With a sad lament my dreams have faded Like a broken melody while the gods of love look down and laugh at what romantic fools we mortals be. And now I know my love was not for you. And so I'll take it back with a sigh, perfidious one. Goodbye. And we were sweethearts for so long Lovers Until you let your love go wrong Kiss me Then give your heart to someone new Darling This is our last adieu Lament my dreams have faded like a broken melody. While the gods of love look down and laugh at what romantic fools we mortals be. And now I know my love was not for you. And so I'll take it back with a sigh, perfidious one. Goodbye. Thank you, Kenny. That was very nice. 
Kenny and say, oh, uh, say, Jimmy. Yes, Fred? You know, I noticed uh, that you're not shivering so much tonight. Are you finally get a, uh, getting accustomed to our New York winters after all of those years you spent out in balmy California? Yes, yes, I'm getting used to cold weather now, Fred. Of course, a few things still bother me. Why, a few things such as what? Well, my ears. Your ears, really? Yes, I don't mind them dropping off on cold days, but it's an awful bother sticking them back on. Yes, I notice you've got one on upside down tonight, too. <laughs> no, the other one. And then another thing that bothers me is the customs that people have here. So tell me, Fred, why do they always hang those shiny glass things on the eaves on cold days? Shiny? Jimmy, those are icicles. Well, what do you know? Yes, and that white stuff that comes down, Jimmy, that's snow. Oh, really? Not soap flakes? No, it's snow. We call it snow here in the east. You may wash with it out there, I don't know, but we call it snow. Well, I can see that you don't know much about cold weather, Jimmy. Well, maybe not, Fred, but there's one thing that I do know. The colder the day, the more certain you can be that duds, those useless slow-action elements in gasoline, will be at work, slowing down starts and running down the battery. Duds are a terrific handicap to the few ounces of chilled gasoline in a carburetor that have the big job of starting your cold engine. For duds just won't take the spark readily. But you don't get duds in Texaco Fire Chief gasoline. The duds are out. That's why Fire Chief is famous as a gasoline that's quick to start, accelerate, warm up. And this faster response to starter and accelerator means gasoline economy, too. So for fast, thrifty winter action, try Fire Chief. There's not a dud in a tank full.
<laughs> we have to get a bigger podium. The maestro is losing his balance there. <laughs> well, Maestro Goodman and his daily racing form ensemble have just played the vulgar boatman across the board. Now, at this time, ladies and... Oh, it's always something. If it isn't the door, it's the telephone. Hello. This is the Ballop Radio Survey. We're checking on radio listeners. Yes? What radio program are you listening to? The Fred Allen program. Well, that's one. Goodbye. <laughs> well, at least it cost him a nickel to insult me, I think. Hello? That party reversed the charges. <laughs> a million places I can go and get insulted for nothing, and I have to come in here... Mr. Allen! Well, Portland... <laughs> I thought you were, with that outfit, you were going to call for Philip Morris. I didn't... <laughs> yeah. If Mama comes, will you tell her I couldn't wait? Yeah, for your laugh, you mean? <laughs> couldn't wait for what? Well, where is, it? where is your mother? She went to send a telegram. She'll be two hours. Oh, a slow writer, huh? It uh, <laughs> takes your mother two hours to write ten words. No, Mama's waiting to see the stage show. What has the stage show got to do with your mother's telegram? Well, Mama saw a big sign that said Western Union. Oh, and when she got inside? It was the Roxy. Oh. <laughs> well, when she comes out, tell her to go across to the Globe where Night Train is playing and get an upper berth. She'll get a good night's rest. <laughs> Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where are you going? Oh, I've got to go to the hospital. Somebody sick? Everybody's sick in the hospital. Some... Someday I will learn to keep my big mouth shut. Now, I'm going to open it just once more to ask you a leading question. Who is our guest tonight? He is Lindy, the gentleman who runs the most famous restaurant on Broadway. Well, you don't mean that New York's beloved keeper of the kipper <laughs> has been coaxed out of his haven of hospitality for an interview. Yes. Mr. Allen, meet Lindy. Well, good evening, Lindy. Good evening, Fred. Well, Lindy, this will be the first time I have ever talked to you that I didn't wind up getting the check. That's right, Fred. Tonight, I am getting the check. And you're not kidding, either. <laughs> everybody... Everybody on Broadway calls you Lindy. Lindy, is that your real handle? No, my name is Leo Lindemann. Leo Lindemann. Well, do you think I ought to call you Mr. Lindemann, you know, to give the interview a little class? If you want me to feel at home, Fred, just call me Lindy. Okay, Lindy. Now, before we start, let's have an understanding. You're relaxed and at ease, I hope. I'm fine and enjoying it. You, uh, you lock the cash register before you left? <laughs> I mean, you start, won't start worrying now and running out in the middle of the program. No, Fred, I'm all set. Well, good. Well, first of all, Lindy, for the benefit of those who haven't read about your famous restaurant in the Broadway columns... Where is your meal mart situated? I have two branches, Fred. The old Lindy's next to the Rivoli Theater and the, next, and the new Lindy across the street from the Capitol. I thought you didn't know where the second one was there, <laughs> Fred. <laughs> well, where... Uh, <laughs> <you have, laughs> 
you have these two, these two, uh, two uh, cafes, uh, restaurants rather, and you personally supervise both places. That's right. Well, do you have a split personality, or do you use the same magnetism at both places? I'm just Lindy all over. Lindy. <laughs> well, how long have you been a main stem Boniface? Twenty years, Fred. This week, I'm celebrating my 20th anniversary. 20 years. And during that time, you have been host to about every celebrity, a celebrity, rather, that I... <laughs> I dropped a nail in there. There's so much of it to pay these days, you know, you have to lose track of one occasionally. But, uh, uh, and during... <laughs> and during that time, you, uh, uh, you're looking for a relative or someone? My wife. Mrs. Lindy here? Oh, Mrs. Lindy, how do you do? As long, just as long as he knows where you are. I mean, then we can go along because... The fine, he's on the air and he doesn't trust you yet. Well, uh, during these 20 years, you have been host to about every celebrity known along the gay, the gay white way. Yes, actors, authors, producers, and songwriters, they all seem to like my place. Especially songwriters. Yes, Fred. The boys say some of America's greatest songs have been written on my menu. Well, isn't that rather risky for composers? If a songwriter got some of your dishes mixed in with his lyrics, the nation might wind up singing Genie with the Light Brown Blinzer. <laughs> but apart from the Tin Pan Alley boys, who are some of the other famous folk who dine at your gastronomic grotto, Lindy? Well, there's Damon Onion, J. Edgar Hoover, Gertrude Lawrence, Oscar Levan, Walter Winchell... Morse Hart, Ed Sullivan, Louis Sobel. Say, uh, you don't... Now, these gossip columnists, you don't serve the gossip columnists asparagus with hot tips, do you, when they're in there? <laughs> Very good. You're waiting for the laughs and everything. No, we just give them good food. Well, what would you say is your outstanding dish, Lindy? Uh, your food frenesie. It depends on your taste. If you like it, I have it, and it's the best. <laughs> well, do you have any one tidbit that no other restaurant boasts here in New York? Yes. I serve a baby sturgeon that comes from Davenport, Iowa. Delicious. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sneaking in a little commercial on the sturgeon. <laughs> well, a, stu <laughs> a sturgeon is only a salmon with class, isn't it? <laughs> Well, besides the local celebrities, your place is also a rendezvous for Hollywood stars when they come east, isn't it? Yes, they all drop it. Jack Oakey, Wallace Berry, Jack Benny, Boynson Allen... Uh, just a minute, Lindy. <laughs> there was a name in there for show, I just noticed. <laughs> the, uh, the name Benny sneaked into that roster there. Now, I said stars, not bit players. <laughs> you know that Mr. Benny has only one claim to fame. In my last picture, he played the longest extra part in Hollywood history. Jack is a nice fellow, Fred. You are in business, Lindy. I can tell the truth. <laughs> you know, Benny is strictly an automat gourmet. A slot glutton. <laughs> You can always tell when Benny has a big meal, his fingers are tired, you know. 
But tell me, what was what what was Denny doing in 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 a high class place like yours, Shanghaiing a toothpick? No, Jack told me to send two portions of the filter fish by airplane to a friend of his in Hollywood. Gefilte fish? That's aquarium hash, isn't it? <laughs> Well, that's not so remarkable. After all, Benny himself has been in planes. And if the airlines will fly a ham across the country, there's no reason why they shouldn't fly a fish. <laughs> well, enough about Herbert Marshall's stooge, Lindy. <laughs> There's one thing I've forgotten to ask you, Lindy. It's really the acid test of a restaurateur. What's that, Fred? Do you, uh, did you ever eat in Lindy's, Lindy? Three times a day I eat my own food, so help me. <laughs> That's good enough for me. But tell me, to what do you attribute the fame and prosperity of your celebrity canteen? To my wife's help and suggestions, Fred. Some of our best dishes, the gefilte fish... The boiled chicken and the marinata herring are for my wife's recipe. Well, that's swell. You know, most people attribute their success, most men, rather, attribute their success strictly to themselves. And it's mighty nice of you to give the little woman a side order of credit. It really is. After all, she's listening in, Fred. <laughs> she's not only listening in, she's here in case you didn't mention it. Well, I want to thank you for this little glimpse behind the table d'hote, Lindy. And with all of this talk about boiled chicken, roast beef, steaks, and chops, I feel pretty good about our interview tonight. Why, Fred? Well, this is one time the sponsor can't say that there wasn't enough meat in the script. Good night, Fred. Good night, thank you, and good luck. <laughs> seems to bring us. <laughs> Mr. Lindy opens with the unit number seven, a hot dog wagon tomorrow in my place. But this seems to... This, this seems to bring, a, to bring us to the Martins, ladies and gentlemen, gaily clad in Bermuda lounge gear. Did you boys and girls see a robin this morning or something? Well, to make a long introduction short, the Martins sing for us, the rhythm is red, white, and blue. Shim Sham and that Lindy hop away. There's a brand new rhythm that starts off today. Oh, that it's even tossed way up on Mars. A hundred million people give it body excitement. Birds in the trees, they're all singing. Even the breeze seems to say, You better get up and jive and too. Rhythm that's red and white and blue. When you feel low, just get swinging. You can be soft, bright and gay. The rhythm in you fits gloom and doom. When the rhythm is red and white and blue, we all know how much it's worth. Laugh and make our livings. There's no other place on earth where they use up two Thanksgivings. Future may hold lots of changes. Things will grow old still, I say. The music forever will be new. While the rhythm is red and white and blue From Maine to Texas, from Texas to Maine The whole darn country is singing the strain From California to South Carolina They've caught the spirit and fallen in line They're singing a new song A red 
that makes a living. There's no other place on earth where we use up to Thanksgiving. Future may hold lots of changes, things will grow old, still I say. The music forever will be new while the rhythm is red and the rhythm is white. Jimmy, 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 who, uh, who is that man standing over there, the big fellow who keeps puffing on the cigar? Who is he? Gee, I don't know, Fred. Isn't he the house dick? No, he isn't. He's got no badge on. Wait, I'm better see who he is. Say, pardon me, friend. Are you, uh, you waiting for somebody? Oh, golly, can you see me? I thought I was invisible. A big side of beef like you? Well, who do you think you are, friend? The shadow? No, no, no. I'm Elmer Boltz, the inventor. I'm testing out an idea I got for soldiers. You see this cigar I got here? Yeah. Yeah, well, my invention is that every soldier goes into action smoking a cigar, see? Yeah. He lays down his own smoke screen like mm-hmm. I was doing. It makes you invisible. Oh, well, it doesn't make you invisible. I can't understand it. They hide battleships with smoke screens, don't yeah. they? If the Navy does it, why can't I? Well, for an answer to that, I refer you to our Navy expert, Admiral Warrington. A whoosh of day, Admiral. <laughs> Well, it's true that in modern naval maneuvers, a few destroyers can lay down a smoke screen that conceals an entire fleet. But the smoke from that cigar is like smoke pouring from the exhaust of an automobile. It conceals nothing, reveals everything. Smoke means trouble. So before your car becomes a smoker, help reduce excessive wear in your motor. Wear due to heat, wear due to cold, and wear due to oil impurities. Change to insulated Havilland. Insulated Haviland stands up under the high temperatures to which oil is subjected in modern engines. Insulated Haviland flows quickly, too. Guards against the wear of cold, dry starts. Haviland also is distilled to remove carbon-forming impurities. Change now to Insulated Haviland at your Texaco dealer. Help reduce excessive wear in your motor. Star Theater continues immediately after a short pause for your station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. WABC New York. Number 10, Lullaby Lane, played by Al Goodman and his Texaco Toonsmiths. And now, uh, oh, Kenny, where, uh, where's Kenny, Portland? I don't know. You know, Kenny's getting careless lately. He didn't show up for rehearsal this morning. Now, I'm going to ball him out. I just oh, thought... Oh, Kenny's of... got a good excuse. What excuse? He was captured by Indians. What? <laughs> captured by... Kenny said it was terrible. There he was, surrounded by savages. Oh, look, Portland, if, you, if you're going to believe everything that Kenny tells you, you'll go bake a berserk. <laughs> now, 
Kenny, Kenny has got to stop eating before he goes to bed at night. But Kenny says... Kenny's conversation all stems from nightmares. If he ever gets insomnia, he won't see anything to talk about. He'll have no topics for conversation. You know that boy's imagination stretches farther than Don Wilson's girdle? You mean Kenny's fibbing? Why, of course. Now, last week we had an Indian on the program. Kenny needed an alibi for not showing up at rehearsal today, so he invented a lie uh, sprinkled with Indians, you see. This week, Kenny should not be lying. Saturday is Papa's birthday. Saturday is also George Washington's birthday, Mr. Goodman. What else? This is precisely what Goodman is saying. What has George Washington got to do with Papa? Elucidate. This I will do later. First, Goodman will explain. Oh, fine. <laughs> Goodman is a citizen of this country. So? Washington is the father of this country. So? So Washington is Goodman's papa. And? Saturday is Papa's birthday. So? So this week, it is obvious Kenny should not be lying. A masterpiece of broken logic. <laughs> Hi, folks, what's a good word? Truth is the good word, Kenny, if you know the word. You mean truth as in truth and consequences? That's the one. What is this story you told Portland about being snagged by Indians? Boy, was I in a spot. My hair was a pompadour all day. Really? You were so frightened, huh? Kenny, this Indian story of yours is a crude, half-breed fabrication. Now, you missed rehearsal, and you invented this Penobscot peccadillo, hoping that we'd think it was the truth. But I tell you, those Indians look, were... Look, look, Kenny, when we want a fibber on this program, we'll get one complete with Molly. <laughs> now, you had better stop telling these stories. Yes, you'll be drummed out of the Boy Scouts, Kenny. I'll handle this, Portland. Kenny, are you acquainted with the story of George Washington and the cherry tree? No, you don't, F.A. I didn't make up that one. You see, now that happens to be a true story, Kenny Your Indian story is pure but clumsy invention Honest, F.A., may I never live to stop another good humor man And don't take those vanilla oaths, either All I want is the truth now, Kenny, what happened? Well, I was on my way to rehearsal and I got lost in Central Park That's when the Indians got me but there are no Indians in Central Park. Not even little Indians? No. Well, whoever they were, they were beating tom-toms and they got me. Well, if they got you, how did they get it? How did you get away? I paid the ransom. What ransom? I had to give the chief my yo-yo. <laughs> you gave the chief your yo-yo and he let you go? Honest, Mr. Allen. Kenny, you're lying. No, Mr. Allen, I'm not. I... Do you think anyone will believe that routine? I believe it. Quiet, Portland. You still believe in Orson Welles. <laughs> Mr. Allen, if you don't believe me, you can ask my Uncle Phil. You're... What does this blood relative by a transfusion know about it? Uncle Phil was with me. Another lie, you see. I've caught you again. You just said when the Indians caught you, you were alone. I was. I was a lookout for Uncle Phil. I was watching for cops. Watching for cops? Yeah, on account of the grass. Oh, your Uncle Phil was walking on the grass? No, he was eating it. Your Uncle Phil eats grass? Yeah, he thinks he's a horse. Well, that's done it, Kenny. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? Now, look where one little lie has led you. You started trying to alibi missing a rehearsal, and now you wind up by trying to make us believe that your own Uncle Phil... 
thinks he's a horse. But you forced me into it, F.A. Kenny didn't know what he was saying, Mr. Allen. That's right. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have said my Uncle Phil thinks he's a horse. You wouldn't? No. It's a family secret. <laughs> well, that is the last straw, Kenny Baker. Now, first you say you ransomed yourself from an Indian chief by giving him your yo-yo. And just to save your own skin, you're willing to say that your Uncle Phil thinks he's a horse. Why, shame on you slandering a member of your own family. Gosh, maybe I shouldn't have said that about Uncle Phil. You ought to hang your head until further notice. <laughs> well, maybe I did exaggerate a little. You know you, impetuous you. <laughs> yes, I do. And I hope you realize now where lies can lead you. Will you promise to stick to the truth from now on? To try to emulate George Washington? I promise, F.A. People will like you better for it, Kenny. In the beginning, frankly, telling the truth will cost you money. Quiet, please, maestro. But honesty is the best policy. Well, that's right. All the personally, I'm with Metropolitan. Uh, <laughs> a 20-year endowment to keep up the policy is killing me. Look, please, back on your podium, maestro, and start Kenny's music. Now, Kenny, your song is... Come in. Well, Kenneth? Uncle Phil! Uh-uh. I'll attend to you later, Kenneth. Mr. Allen, I heard my name mentioned here on your program. I'm Kenny's Uncle Phil. Well, I'm sorry Kenny embarrassed you, but I'm sure he has learned his lesson. You really think so? Well, I can assure you, sir, that Kenny will be a truthful boy from now on. And the family's very grateful for what you're doing for Kenneth, Mr. Allen. Well, we like him a lot, and we're trying our best. And we thank you. Well, I don't want to intrude. Goodbye, Mr. Allen. Goodbye, sir. Goodbye, Kenneth. Goodbye, Uncle Phil. Well, I'm off. Be, uh, uh, you see, Mr. Allen, I told you. Kenny, don't say a word, not a word. Just just sing your song. Gosh, Mr. Allen, did you hear Uncle Phil winning? Quiet, please, Portland. I, I know when I'm licked. Kenny, let's have your... Portland, see who that is. All right. Uncle Phil sure is a card, isn't he, F.A.? You should have seen him the day he came in fourth at Hialeah. <laughs> Look... I don't want to either discuss or lay a bet on your Uncle Kenny. Mr. Allen! Yes, Portland? Look who's at the door. An Indian chief. How? How what, chief? How you work this yo-yo? No, 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 not that, not that. Away. Come 
And now, ladies... Uh, pardon me, Fred. Oh, yes, Larry Elliott. I want you to hear something. Listen to this and see if you know what it is. Well, it sounds uh, like a man with asthma blowing at a bowl of noodle soup, Larry. <laughs> no, Fred. Those are automobiles pouring off the factory assembly lines. Today, the automobile manufacturers of America are producing cars at the rate of 1,500 each working hour. 25 shining new cars every minute. Almost one new car every two seconds of the working day. Well, if I only had on my hat, Larry, I'd certainly tip it to those automobile makers. It's marvelous how they can speed up production when the occasion requires. Yes, Fred, and just as marvelous as their flexibility of production is the flexibility of the modern car itself. Just think what you may call upon your car to do, even in one short drive. Pick up from a standing start to cruising range. Throttle down to a crawl in heavy traffic. Swiftly gather speed as the road opens up ahead. When your car answers that wide range of demands with constant yet flexible power, that's really driving. And it's the kind of driving you'll enjoy with Sky Chief, Texaco's different premium gasoline. For Sky Chief responds to your most fleeting whim. A split-second opening in traffic and flash you through. The challenge of a hill and zoom, you're over. Enjoy that kind of flexible power. The highways with Sky Chief, your Texaco dealer's premium gasoline for those who want the best. Now the Texaco Workshop players. Tonight, they present a saga of a fluid. This playlet is called Milk. Milk. <laughs> 
milk. What is milk? Where was the first milk discovered? What is the story behind this nutritious lactic extract of Guernsey? Professor Quiz, Professor Quiz on a recent program, said to a lady contestant, Where does milk come from, madam? And the lady answered, I don't know. It's always there when I get up. That is a common theory. It is always there when I get up. But where does milk come from? Who discovered milk? Hippocrates, the first Greek physician, once remarked, We didn't have milk in ancient Greece. It was B.C., before cows. Yes, Hippie was right. Milk wasn't discovered until 1807. In March 1807, during a severe windstorm in Tampa, Florida, a farmer's baby was blown under a cow. As the cow was about to be whirled away in the typhoon, the little baby reached up and held on. Three, three days later, the father said, Gosh, the baby's fatter than when he was blown away. What's the little rascal been living on for three days? The father resolved to find out how the little baby had lived under that cow for three whole days. And one morning there in Jacksonville, the farmer said, I'm going to tamper with that cow. <laughs> and he went and he did. Later, when the farmer was asked how he finally found that the cow was concealing milk, the farmer replied, I owe my success to a little jerk, but don't mention no name. <laughs> Since that day, the cow has been regimented. Milk today is a big business. Competition is keen. Milk barons bid for your lactic favor. The following episode recently took place in the offices of a monster milk magnet. We find the monster milk magnet entering his office. Ah, uh, good morning, Miss Curd. Morning, Mr. Allen. Call an advertising agency. Call the nearest broadcasting company. Call the reporters from all the leading papers. Get them over here right away. Yes, sir. What's all the excitement? For 20 years, Mammoth Milk has fought off all competition. I know, sir. When other companies pasteurized milk... I pulverized it. Yes, sir. When they homogenized milk, I pragmatized it. Yes, sir. Today, other companies are dramatizing milk. Mammoth is going to advertise it. I have coined the perfect milk slogan. What is it? Mammoth, the milk from happy heifers. The milk from happy heifers. Wonderful. Thank you. Here's a proof to your magazine ad, F.A. Uh, who is this? It's a candid camera shot. John Barrymore drinking a glass of mammoth milk. Well, how did you get Barrymore to drink milk? They put an olive in it to fool him. <laughs> yeah, Barrymore thought it was a cloudy martini. Well, great. Now, rest this copy right out. Okay. There's a man waiting, Mr. Allen. Well, show him in. Yes, sir. This way, please. Oh, thank you. I'm from the advertising agency, Mr. Allen. You phone? Yes, 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 yes. A lucky phone. Don't mix me up there. What agency are you from? Beaten, batten, mutton, and button. <laughs> Which one are you? My name's Fish. <laughs> well, I don't talk to small fry, Fish. But I'm a member of the firm. Beaten, batten, mutton, and button? Yeah, my name won't fit on a door. We have a small door. You, uh, you don't use the knob? Not in the advertising game. Oh, naturally, I forgot. Well, Fish, 
I'm launching an advertising campaign on milk. I'm going to use a slogan. Oh, yeah, we got a million slogans. Have you got wastebasket hair? No, there's no. There's that mattress slogan, good to the last flop. No, no. And then, then there's that toupee slogan, ask the man who combs one. No, no, no. I have a slogan that will make these sound like double talk fish. Yeah, what is it? Mammoth. The milk from Happy Heifers. A classic. Thank you very much. Now, I want this slogan in every newspaper and magazine in the country. Are you going to depend on beating, batting, mutton, and button, Mr. Allen? Well, thank you, Mr. The name is Fish. I'll do a whale of a job. Well, don't, uh, don't flounder, Fish. Get to work. Yeah, I will. Just for the hobbit. <laughs> Miss Kurt. Yes, sir. Take a memo to the president of the broadcasting company. Yes, sir. Dear sir, Mammoth Milk is going on the air. I'm featuring my slogan, Milk from Happy Heifers. You got that? Yes, sir. Now, here's my radio show. Be very careful. Take this uh, as I give it out here. The program opens with a cow mooing. <laughs> then into a milk theme song, What's This You're Pulling on Me? <laughs> yes, sir? Then bang into a 20-minute commercial. Mammoth milk, blah, 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 blah. Yes? Then Elsie the Cow is a guest star. A real-life interview. What the rotolactor has done to my shape. You know, the woman's angle. Then a 10-minute commercial. Mammoth milk, blah, 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 blah. And into the finish, a male chorus. 200 milkmen singing, I'll take you home again, Holstein. Is that the buzzer? Yes, sir. There's a newspaper man waiting. Uh, no, one newspaper man, is it? Yes. Has he got a notebook or a camera? A camera. He's from PM. Show him in. Yes, sir. Ah, you're from PM? Yes, I'm flanking. We got a flash. Something's going on here. What is it? Labor trouble, I hope? No. <laughs> Mammoth Milk has coined a new slogan. Milk from Happy Heifers. Wonderful. What's the story behind this slogan, Milk Alan? from Happy Heifers sums up my life's work, Plankin. I've got 20,000 cows working for me. My goal has always been happiness in every stall. Idealist, eh? Every cow is my personal guest. The barns are air-conditioned. Manger maids turn down the sanitary hay for each cow at sundown. And we have band concerts back of the barn every Sunday. Tuscanini informal in overhauls. Conducting with a pitchfork. Wonderful. Every cow in my employ is happy. We don't force them, Mr. Flanken. The uh, cows are milked by men wearing soft silk gloves with pussy willow palms. And on the hour, my efficiency men check on each cow's mood. Well, I'll be a... Now, you see, here is the stall survey. We have the hourly survey. Here is the survey for 11 o'clock. Mr. Crosley goes into every stall personally. Now, you see, you see here, number 53, lowing gently. 54, grinning. 55, chuckling. Every cow on the premises is happy. Milk from happy heifers. This is a great PM story. My slogan's 100%, Flanken, and my word is as good as my milk. I've been selling milk for 30 years, and I've yet to hear my first complaint. Uh, Mr. Allen, Mr. Allen. What is that? Uh, I'm cringe, driver 47, Mr. Allen. Well, I'm in conference, cringe. Yeah, but this is a catastrophe, Mr. Allen. What's wrong, cringe? A pint of milk has been returned. What? Yeah, Mrs. Monroe, 57 Street, retained this pint, and she says it's sour. Sour? You're lying, cringe. Honest, Mr. Allen, Why, it's all curdled on top. It looks sour to me. Sour? If this gets out, I'm ruined. I've signed radio and magazine contracts for a million dollars, guaranteeing milk from happy heifers. The cow that gave this pint wasn't happy. Which cow is it, Cringe? What is the name on that bottle cap? It's number 76, Isabel. Miss Curd, get Isabel in here right away. Yes, sir. And uh, buzz for Wassup. Yes, sir. Who's Wassup? My psychoanalyst. 
Wassip psychoanalyzes the cows every morning. And he must have slipped up on Isabel. Gad, if Isabel is in the dumps, milk and happy heifers as a slogan isn't worth a farthing. What a story for PM. Slogan sabotaged by Sulkin Steer. Here's Mr. Wassip and Isabel, sir. Well, which one is Wassip? This is me without the horns. Oh, I see. You were both down on all fours. I couldn't tell as you came in. Quiet, Isabel. Quiet. That's a girl. Now, uh, what's wrong, Mr. Allen? What's wrong? Isabel here is wrong. Taste this milk, Wasip. It's sour. Hmm. Yes, there is a dash of melancholy there. If Isabel's neurosis isn't cured, Wasip, my slogan is ruined. Mammoth milk will be bankrupt. Steady, Isabel, steady. I'll, uh, I'll psychoanalyze her again, sir. Examine her thoroughly, Wasip. Fluoroscoper, stethoscoper, and horoscoper. Yes, right away, sir. Uh, sit down, Isabel. No, wait. Oh, not in that wastebasket, Isabel. Here, let me get your tail. Sit up here on my desk. I'll start with the stethoscope. Inhale, Isabel. Uh-huh. Now, I'll try her reflexes. Uh, stand back, everybody. I'll hit her knee. See, your leg flew back. Quiet, please. I'm diagnosing. Sorry. Say, ah, Isabel. No, ah. That's better. Well, what's your verdict, Wasser? Well, uh, physically, Isabel's perfect. Maybe it's something mental. Impossible, unless it's hereditary. Oh, well, where's her chart? Her chart is right here. Uh-huh. She was in good spirits at roll call. Yes. Frolicked in her bath. Yes. Ate a hearty breakfast. Playful, being delactic. What could have upset her? Did anyone speak sharply within Isabel's hearing? No, Mr. Allen. Isabel's sign was up. Quiet, cow-giving. You say Isabel didn't sulk being delactic? No, she just stood looking out of the window. Isabel seemed to be lost in thought, like she was pitching moo. Pitching moo. That's it. What's it? Looking out of that window, Isabel saw something that upset her. Some horrible thing that caused melancholia to tincture her milk. I was right there with her all the time. What was going on outside of that window, Wasip? Speak up, man. What met Isabel's gaze? Well, nothing. There was just a big billboard across the street. No more there isn't. They're tearing it down to make a parking space. That's all I wanted to know. Miss Kern? Yes, sir. Call up and buy that property across the street. If I can put that billboard back up, my slogan, Milk from Happy Heifers, is saved. I don't understand, sir. How could tearing down a billboard upset Isabel? That billboard advertised tobacco, Mr. Flanken. Isabel thinks she's been jilted. Jilted? Yes, Isabel's been flirting with the bull on that bull Durham sign. Thank you. This is Fred Allen saying good night for the more than 45,000 Texaco dealers from coast to coast. Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.